You're listening to End of the Line on WRIR 97.3 FM Richmond. End of the Line is an ongoing podcast about the pipeline struggles in Virginia and the Mid-Atlantic. I'm Whitney Whiting. You know, you have this thing in your head when you're young that you think the DEQ cares about our water and the quality of our environment. Our elected officials care about us. And then you get older and you realize everybody can be bought. McAuliffe has been a roadblock since day one, and he's refused to ever sit down and really listen. This is episode eight, and with the Virginia elections just four days away, we're going to take this time to hear from affected Virginians about the impact that pipelines have had on the election thus far. We don't feel like we have any support from our, our county government at all. We don't feel like we have any support from our state government because it's owned by Dominion and they're pro-pipelines. We called 130 of our elected officials in the state of Virginia, asking them to do one simple thing, which is just sign a letter, sort of a petition, right, requesting that Dominion use Virginia eminent domain laws and not federal eminent domain laws. Total simple thing. We're not, it's not even saying don't use eminent domain. It's not saying don't build the pipeline. It's just that, right? And not a single one, out of 130 people we talked to, not one would do that. And they said things like, Dominion owns this state. Um, we're, I'm going to do whatever Dominion wants. You're wasting your time. You'll never beat them. I mean, these are our elected officials. Almost four years ago, Virginians elected a Democratic governor who ran on a pro-environment, anti-fracking platform, among other things. The 2013 gubernatorial election took place amidst the hottest of topics for Virginia and the nation, abortion rights. At the time, the Republican candidate, Ken Cuccinelli, who was then attorney general under Governor Bob McDonnell, single-handedly bullied the Board of Health for months in an effort to close the doors of nearly every abortion clinic in Virginia. Even though the issue galvanized the progressive left, it was still a very tight election for Terry McAuliffe, who won by a slim margin. The majority of women's clinics remain open to this day, no doubt in part because of that clear difference between the candidates and because of that single issue that brought voters to the polls. In May of 2014, five months after he took office, Governor McAuliffe stood next to Dominion CEO Tom Farrell to announce his support of their newly proposed Atlantic Coast Pipeline. I started Friends of Augusta the night um, of the first meeting in Middlebrook. Um, I literally drove home and set up a Facebook page and Friends of Augusta was born. That's Jennifer Lewis. Among her many hats, she is vice chair of the Waynesboro Democratic Party and founder of Friends of Augusta, one of the grassroots groups that's been fighting the ACP for the last three years. When the pipeline was first proposed, I was very naive and I thought, he's a Democrat. He's not going to be for this pipeline or he's just believing what Dominion told him. Once we get to him and we talk to him and provide him with our information and education, he'll change his mind. And obviously we know he hasn't changed his mind. Every time we've seen him publicly and tried to discuss the pipeline with him, he has been less than cordial and has physically run away from us at every opportunity. Marilyn Shiflett is a lifelong resident of Nelson County, 
and has made every attempt to speak to Governor McAuliffe about the pipelines that he so avidly supports. I'm no engineer, but I knew from the get-go that this was a horrible, horribly planned project and that Nelson County was the absolute worst place that they could put it. I had been 12 years old when Hurricane Camille went, came through, and so I know what happens when those mountains collapse. It's unthinkable that it was ever considered in the first place. From the very beginning, Marilyn and her neighbors tried to express their concerns to the person they saw as having the most influence on the pipeline decisions. Governor McAuliffe. Sharon Ponton told us about one of their first unsuccessful encounters with him at a Democratic committee meeting in 2014. Mrs. McAuliffe had come to Nelson and I had met her um, before we knew about the pipeline when he was running for governor. And um, so I walked up to her and I introduced myself and I said, I'm from Nelson County. And she said, I remember you. And I said, we need to talk to your husband. I said, he won't talk to us. I said, you came to Nelson County and asked us to vote for him. And we did. And now I'm asking you to get him to talk to us. Not to this day has he come to Nelson County. Not to this day has he acknowledged us at all. Though they had little success in getting responses from the governor, pipeline opposition continued to fight over the next three years, changing the conversation on all aspects of the pipeline, from environmental and water concerns to property rights and economic costs. We, we felt as a community like we were making a lot of progress. And then, and then you know, uh, in Trump's first couple weeks of office, he issues this 50 top priorities, and I know you've seen the news about that, but the ACP is kind of on this secret list as number 20 of his top priorities. And it's the only pipeline on the whole list. The only one. Richard Averett is a Nelson County landowner whose family home and business faces major impacts from the proposed ACP. So that was a blow because everybody said, oh crap, like the fight just got a lot harder, right? If you've got the president pushing it, this specific pipeline. Why is he pushing it? Well, for all the same reasons everything else is going on. He's got investments in it, and so does all of those cronies around him. The first rally that we had after Trump won, we had a whole new wave of people that wanted to be involved. And this one woman said, oh my God, I didn't know about this pipeline issue. We need to talk to the governor. Does he know about this? And I just looked at her and I was like, yeah, he knows. He's the biggest cheerleader for it. Almost immediately after the election of Trump, Virginia was ready to shift focus to the upcoming off-year gubernatorial race of 2017. And many among the pipeline opposition took that opportunity to push the issue like never before. One of the guys who was on the original pipeline route, Denver Riggleman, a friend of mine, decided to get in the governor's race on the Republican side. Um, and he came out out of the gate swinging and said, I won't take a penny from Dominion and I'll stop this pipeline if I'm elected governor. And what happened was he created sort of energy around that idea. And Ralph Northam, who's the Democratic you know, lieutenant governor and sits under McAuliffe, has been incredibly quiet on this. He's kind of said, well, I'm against eminent domain, but we need the energy. He's taken a very sort of, I'm subservient to McAuliffe position, right? Because McAuliffe's all in on the pipeline. Um, and so all of a sudden, 
you had this Republican force um, that was galvanizing a lot of support from people you wouldn't expect to vote for a Republican. And so, and there was a gap on the Democratic side. Well, then Tom Perriello jumped in. And of course, as soon as he announced that he was running, several of us started to write him and his campaign letters. There was a very specific and concerted effort to say to Tom, you've got to stand on the people's side on this issue. And clearly he had done his homework. When he announced, he knew what the issues were. It wasn't as if he just came out and opposed the pipelines. He was very clear on the reasons why, which was tremendously helpful to us. When we first interviewed Richard and others, the gubernatorial primary was still a couple months away, and there was a lot of anticipation over how Periello's run would affect the primary outcome. But Periello's got a shot, a real shot, and, and, um, and he got a lot of support after that. And Denver recently dropped out of the race, which means I know some Republican folks who were going to vote for Denver or independents who are going to vote for Tom over this pipeline issue. This is something we heard from many people in the counties affected by the pipelines, that if there was a candidate running on a no-pipeline stance, they would vote for that candidate regardless of party affiliation. Mert Reeves of Bent Mountain, a tiny region in southwest Virginia that is almost 100% against the Mountain Valley Pipeline, said the same thing of her neighbors. If Tom Perriell runs against anybody, he will get the vote of everybody in Bent Mountain, probably. Bent Mountain has notoriously gone Republican in every election. It's a very conservative community up here. Um, nobody runs as a Democrat locally. They run as independents. Um, but nobody runs as a Democrat up here because it's, it's just a Republican stronghold. But if anybody runs anti-pipeline, my guess is they take, take the area if they, if they run strong anti-pipeline. And the person who they're running against runs for pipeline. That's going to be the trick. If they've got a clear, you know, yes, no. By and large, folks like Richard and Mert were right. Perriello won by landslides in virtually every county affected by the Mountain Valley and Atlantic Coast Pipeline. Usually races are, are close, definitely closer than 70 to 30. I mean, that, I've, I've never seen that. Um, and I don't know if we'd ever see that again. It was just 100% was the pipeline, 100%. And the Democratic Party came out to the press as if, wow, we had this tremendously higher turnout than normal. It wasn't a tremendously higher turnout. It was conservatives voting for Perriello against the pipeline because he was the only one who had come forward against the issue of eminent domain. So they might not care as much about the environmental issues surrounding the pipeline, but they certainly care about property rights. And they were willing, and I'm thinking that some residents in Nelson will tell you, it was maybe the first time they'd ever voted Democratic. However, it wasn't enough to beat Northam's stronghold in major urban areas like Northern Virginia, Hampton Roads, and Richmond. Still, folks like Marilyn see huge benefits to Tom Perriello's failed bid for governor. That is the most excited that a lot of opposition to the pipeline have been about a candidate for several years. And certainly the most energy I have seen generated by a candidate in Virginia for quite some time. 
pipeline issue aside, he seemed to bring a lot of interest to this election. Not only that, but Marilyn says that one of the most significant impacts of Periello's anti-pipeline stance is that it forced Northam to respond to the issue. During the primary, he suddenly switched gears and became neutral on the pipeline, and he made it a point to say that he was very concerned about the environmental review, which he had not done in the past. And in addition, he came forward and wrote a letter to the DEQ, as we all know, asking them to do a very thorough examination on these two pipelines. He'd been lieutenant governor for more than three years at that point and had never, ever made any kind of a public statement or written a single letter that I'm aware of. So that was huge for him to even come from supporting the pipelines to being neutral on the pipelines. If you're just tuning in, you're catching End of the Line, an ongoing podcast about the pipeline struggles in Virginia and the Mid-Atlantic on WRIR 97.3 FM Richmond. You can now binge on eight episodes and counting at soundcloud.com slash pipeline podcast. I'm Whitney Whiting. Virginia's off-year state elections are just days away. So we're looking at how the issue of these two proposed pipelines has affected the 2017 races. And in 2014, when you go back and look at news stories at the time when Dominion first announced the pipeline, Northam strongly supported him. You know, they, he supported McAuliffe and he supported both pipelines. He never said he was neutral. His neutrality only came when he was challenged in the primary. So what a gift Tom Perriello was to us. In February of 2017, Northam wrote a letter to the DEQ recommending that they do site-specific permitting for every stream crossing, a major demand of pipeline opposition groups. Northam referenced this letter frequently during his campaign leading up to the primary and credited the early behavior of the DEQ to his pressure. However, the DEQ has since backpedaled and chosen not to do site-specific permits after all but he really has not made any effort to contact the DEQ again. He's made no effort to come out publicly against the way that the FERC issued the permit um, two weeks ago. He's done nothing. And he, in order to try to silence the opposition publicly, at one point he came forward at several public appearances and passed out his staff's business card contact information saying that he was going to have a sit down with some of these impacted communities, representatives from these communities. To my knowledge, he's never gotten back to a single soul. You know, as the vice chair of the Democratic Party in Waynesboro, I've worked with his campaign for different things, you know, getting flyers um, and things that I do have to do just in my role as vice chair. Um, so they mailed me a bunch of flyers to my house and I took them down to the headquarters. I have not made one single phone call to try to talk to people about voting for Ralph. I've made a ton of phone calls telling people to vote for Michelle Edwards and Angela Lynn, um, but I won't campaign for Ralph Northam um, at this point. Our elected officials don't have to necessarily 
be able to directly affect the things that we want them to, but we want to see them on the front lines. You know, Angela Lynn has been on the front lines on this fight. She has gone to DEQ hearings, the open houses, um, and not at, during that time, she wasn't always running for office. So it's not just that she shows up when she's running for office, she shows up all the time. End of the Line spoke to Angela Lynn and other candidates that are running in districts impacted by either the Mountain Valley or Atlantic Coast Pipeline. Angela spoke to us about the impact that Periello's run had on other delegates coming out against the pipelines as well. So now we have in the 5th District and 6th District, we have Democratic candidates that are going to be running um, in their primaries. Every single one of them is anti-pipeline. And then, of course, uh, a lot of the House of Delegates are as well. And so um, even Justin Fairfax, uh, all of the lieutenant governors were anti-pipeline uh, candidates for the Democrats were anti-pipeline. That was, that was big. But, but the, the drive to me is to not let issues and concerns be, to be minimized to only a single issue. It, it is a national issue. There's a lot of aspects to this. It's not as simple as, hey, let's run a pipeline all the way across Virginia. It's a good idea. It impacts so many people and so many industries and so many events and so many water sources. That, and we just need to make sure we're doing it right. Because if we make a mistake with this, it will be a big one. Rebecca Kola is running for House of Delegates in the 64th District, her first time ever running for office. Her district encompasses Suffolk County, which would be impacted by the ACP extension to Hampton Roads. For Rebecca, this election season is about more than just the pipelines. It's also about an issue of trust. You know, Virginia right now has a lot of people running that are just normal people. And I think normal people have a different perspective than those who have been given a lot of money by someone to run for office. And I'll be honest, that was the first thing that I noticed when I began to run for office was, you know, if someone hands you $20,000 or $30,000, how do you not take their calls? How do you not pay attention to their issues? How do you not advocate for their position? And so my campaign runs on a whole lot less money. I mean, there, there's not a single donor that has given me money that I owe anything to. Um, and so it's, in a sense, when you have Virginia Dominion power, and I know they give money to everybody. And I think that creates some types of bias and a conflict when you have a lot of individuals or a lot of corporations give you money to run for office. Then I, I think it taints your ability to act impartially and to act into the interests of your, of your citizens of your district. Stephen McBride is another candidate who is jumping into his first ever campaign for House of Delegates in the 6th District, a heavy territory for opposition to the Mountain Valley Pipeline. Some incumbents have gotten, you know, over the lifetime of their incumbency or over their time in office, they've gotten $100,000 from these companies. And so... And that's, that's what comes back to this idea of a clean conversation. I mean, when you're sitting down and you're talking about energy policy in Virginia going forward, are your constituents going to trust you if you've taken $100,000 from someone and then you make and you vote in a way that seems to be favoring these power companies? I don't think so. Um, I mean, especially as, you know, voters have pointed out to me, their, you know, their power costs continue to go up. Uh, year by year, and these companies continue to have record profits. People generally don't like that 
amount of influence that those companies have. We see a bipartisan distrust of of folks taking that sort of money. So I talked to uh, Republican voters, or you know, they may not call themselves Republicans, but they they usually vote um, Republican or they're more conservative leaning. And when I talk about uh, the amount of money that these for-profit public utilities are um, giving to politicians, I mean, they're they're appalled. I know for a fact, I personally know people who are diehard Republicans, and they're voting for Justin Fairfax because he's anti-pipeline. They're voting for Angela Lynn because she's anti-pipeline. They're voting for Michelle Edwards because they're anti-pipeline. So we have, I, I have seen it firsthand that independents, Republicans, Tea Partiers are voting for Democrats because they're anti-pipeline. Ralph is missing this whole other piece of people that could put him right over the top to win this election. I think that they have missed a tremendous opportunity with conservative voters in rural districts. And it was abundantly clear when you looked at the primary results and along the path of the pipeline, how well Perriello did. So that's a huge opportunity that they missed at that time, and they're still missing. But if Ralph came out against the pipelines, they would vote for him because of the no pipeline issue, regardless of the social issues. Um, so he's making a big mistake, and I've told the campaign, I've literally called them up, cried. I've used the words, I'm literally begging you, um, because I'm seeing it on the streets. I, I'm, you know, I canvassed yesterday in Waynesboro. Um, I canvassed last weekend in Fishersville. It's people, this is what people are concerned about. Um, and people are tired of their elected representatives not caring about what they care about. And I've seen in the news um, remarks from Northam's campaign in the last few weeks that they feel like the pipeline opposition is not enough voters to make a significant difference in this election. How sad is that? I'm willing to, you know, fight for Ralph. If he were to come out against these pipelines, I would hit the streets tomorrow, canvassing for him, door knocking and call banking and all of that for him, but I won't until then. I try to be respectful, but I admit that as we get closer to election time. I'm finding myself losing patience with repeating the most basic facts about these pipelines over and over and over again. Virginians who live in urban areas seem to be disconnected from this issue and still don't understand that it will have some impact on every Virginian, every Virginian be it their electric bill three days, three years down the road. Um, it might be a water quality issue for them because these rural areas are the headwaters for a lot of these big cities. Or it could be a family member who lives in one of these rural areas who's directly impacted. Another point that the opposition continues to clarify for the public is the governor's role when it comes to the pipelines. Over the last three years, McAuliffe has repeated the claim that the pipelines are a federal issue and only a federal issue.
But one thing that the, that's really explicitly in the state control, and by virtue of that, the governor's control, is the is the Department of Environmental Quality's water certification. We have we have our own water protections in this state, in most states, and they say that when any infrastructure project is going to be done, that the department has the right to do an analysis and make a certification about whether this will or will not damage overall water water quality in the state. And if they say they won't permit it because it's in violation of our water quality standards, it's done, it's dead. There's nothing the federal government can do. Like that, that's a, that, that kills the pipeline. That is to say, assuming that DEQ isn't also sort of being told quietly behind the scenes, make this pass, you know, no way to know. You know, between all the different groups, organizations that have put pressure on Governor McAuliffe and the position of, of governor of Virginia ha has had an effect in this gubernatorial race that we're facing right now in 2017, that it's, it's the hot seat. I asked Marilyn about after the election, regardless of the outcome, where she thinks this is all headed. I think it's gonna be a fight but the fight is gonna be left to fall on impacted communities and the court system. It really matters little who gets in office regarding the pipelines. Um, the Water Control Board will meet in December and I don't wanna predict bad timing, tidings about that, but our opportunities to stop this thing are gonna stop in Richmond on December 11th and 12th and the 6th and 7th for the MVP. And so we'll see. But I don't think people who have become engaged on these issues are suddenly going to disengage. And I expect that people who are now awake are gonna to continue to be active on other issues. And I don't think any governor who walks in in 2018 is gonna be off the hook. More to come in the next episode of End of the Line. End of the Line is produced by Katie Wood and Whitney Whiting, with support from WRIR and a growing network of people throughout Virginia who are keeping their eyes and ears to the ground as the pipeline saga unfolds. Special thanks for this episode goes to Jennifer Lewis, Marilyn Shiflett, Angela Lynn, Rebecca Kolal, Stephen McBride, and Tom Burkett. Music by Restroy. Find the full EP at milkfactoryproductions.bandcamp.com. Additional music by Lobo Marino. Find them on lobomarinomusic.com. To hear this and all episodes from End of the Line, go to soundcloud.com slash pipeline podcast.